This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at signup to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. I am so glad to hear from so many of you on how helpful these last round of guests have been. I want to thank you for your support of the show, and thank you for all the DMs sharing how the show is helping your career right now. Please keep them coming. I love hearing from every one of you. And today, well, it's going to be another good one. I'm excited to welcome Jordan Whistle to the show. He spent the last 10 years in high growth sales organizations and the last five, he was leading some of the fastest growing SaaS teams that were backed by some of the biggest names in the venture capital world. And in that period of time, he's helped navigate every economic condition possible. And he hasn't just survived, he's thrived. And none of it was a happy accident. He's developed systems to fuel growth and predictability, no matter the conditions that have changed companies and careers. So today we're going to have a really important conversation that are going to help you help the members of your team align more intentionally to their customers, regardless of the market conditions. It's going to be a great conversation. It's one I'm looking forward to get starting with. So let's get after it. Jordan, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast. And thank you so much for joining me. Rob, I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm sure you get this uh, quite a bit, but I'm a longtime listener and happy to be a, a first-time uh, participant. Let's go. We're excited to have you here. On behalf of 50,000 leaders around the world, thanks for joining us, brother. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Why don't you start things off by introducing uh, yourself to this worldwide listener base? How, how'd you get into sales? How'd that lead to where you're, uh, you're now? Just a little bit of your story. 
Yeah, Rob, happy to share kind of the baseball card and, and origin story, as, as some call it. So um, got, I've spent the last decade in, in sales and, and specifically the, the last five years as a sales leader. But, uh, you know, got to back up a little bit because like most in our profession, you know, really fell into it uh, by accident. Yep. You kind of happenstance, um, which I'm sure you hear, you know, quite a bit. So I'm still uh, looking for the person that said I was going to be a salesperson when I grew right, up. I'm still right. looking for that. Per- by the way, if you're a listener, that is that person, reach out to me so you can be first one on the show. There we go. So we might we might still be waiting a little bit, Rob. But uh, but yeah, just to, just to, to back up a little bit. So I was actually a uh, aspiring CPA and accountant. So I got my undergraduate degree uh, in in accounting um, at the University of Tennessee. So go balls. Uh, shameless plug. There. Let's so, go. Yeah, yeah. I'm big uh, college uh, college sports aficionado. But uh, to, to keep us on track here, so um, you know, then then went over to grad school. Was getting uh, my hours and, and prereqs to sit for. The CPA exam, and, and I was having what I call a career crisis before the career actually uh, <laughs> even began. So um, I, I started to realize that maybe hey, accounting accounting wasn't my my calling. So um, naturally, then fell into uh, sales, and you know, really, I cut my teeth into the the recruiting and, and staffing industry. And you know, I got to say, it's a, it's a good place to get started because it's uh, you know, 140 billion dollar industry. Um, every company's biggest line item on their income statement and P and L is is payroll, with very few exceptions. Um, mm. So you're playing in a, in a really good space, right? And um, you know what? What I found from there, though, however, is you know due to that, you know it's very archaic, you know it's very outdated, um, and it you know it's really become a commoditized industry. And you know why I give that context is it really forced me to focus on differentiation in the customer journey, the sales process, and really honing my craft and, and honing my art. So you know from there, I wanted to you know find a company that was maybe disrupting or building a new category, and that's where I jumped ship and you know really got my first exposure into the VC tech uh, you know software landscape. So spent the last uh, five years there, both as a, a frontline sales leader and then a, a second line leader over a team of managers as well. Love it. And as they say, the rest is history, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, and more to come. Well, I'm glad you come. Congrats on your success so far. Thanks for joining us. I, I work really hard to get leaders of all different kinds to join the show, and I'm really grateful. You got a, a unique story, and I, I love the guy that was starting out to be a scorekeeper, and you want to get in the game and and put points on the board that other accountants can score for you. That's and right. uh, and so I love that. Yeah, who, um, who knew my uh, financial statement and P and L fluency would, would would come in handy in those Excel skills. Yeah. I, you know what? There's truth to that. And yeah. that may be a good takeaway is, is, is the more able we can talk like an owner to our customers yeah. or talk like that same person, 100%. the more successful we'll be. And and not enough salespeople have clarity on what success looks like. Even. Yeah, totally so. agree. Totally agree. So, so I want to set this up. I, I uh, have done this a few times in our five-year history of the show. There's There's been a handful of guests that have joined because I follow them on LinkedIn and they make a really smart post. At least I think it's a smart post. And may, you know, I, I guess I have a good self-esteem because I figure like if I think it's smart, everybody else will think it's smart too. And, and you made a really great post on LinkedIn relative to one of the greatest risks that exists in a sales process are you remembering that one or do you want me to remind you of what that was like i, I, I do i do i do recall that one i think it was a, a few weeks back so yeah i can i can uh yeah pick up, pick share, up share it with the team or or i can remind you of it but but it was so good i wanted to talk to you about it 
Yeah, and it, and it's funny because you know, forty five minutes is probably not enough time, Rob, to like truly unpack this and go, you know, both deep and wide, and 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 you know, give enough uh, for, for our listeners here. So there's there's always you know uh, things we could expand on, but you know, I think fundamentally a, a few things. So you know, the the tagline, Rob, that you alluded to is you know, sellers really operating um, uh, under the assumption that the customer really understands value, and I think there's a lot of risk there if there's a misinterpretation or that they have um, their own assumption of what expected outcomes or solutions um, or what they need um, out of uh, choosing a new vendor, right? So I think that's kind of the overarching mantra. And maybe to set the scene a, a little bit here, I'd love to zoom back out and just be like, you know, what's the root cause of this or where would this issue even start? And I think, you know, even at a more uh, atomic and fundamental level, level excuse me, what, what I'm after here is when a seller and buyer are just unknowingly operating on their own assumptions and understandings that maybe contrast, right? And, you know, I kind of asked myself, like, how would, how would that happen? And, and when you kind of think about it, because I think, you know, it's helpful to understand the, the environment as, as sellers, what we're in, you know, you, you have two businesses that are probably unfamiliar with each other that are having virtual discussions as total strangers regarding complex software solutions, right? So we're, we're navigating a lot in terms of this back and forth. And I think it's very important that the call out here is you need to be very thorough, diligent, and I'll have a lot of high precision in your customer journey and, and, and navigating the evaluation process as a seller. All right. So this got a lot of meat on this bone, but I want to, I want to come back to where we started again. I want to make this really clear for our listeners, because I think it's important. You're calling out that one of the biggest risks in the process is what the actual value is versus the perceived value. And when we leave it, if we just like make assumptions around that, we may have a gap the size of the Grand Canyon. Is that That's fair? That is that is fair. And I think to kind of really start to get into this a little bit more, the, the way I would like to think about this is how can we be sure that we are selling a strategic solution and not merely a product? If we can continue to answer that throughout, I worry less about kind of this misperception, right? Because at the end of the day, we can go back and point up north and really say, hey, we are aligned on a top-down strategic initiative for the prospect. Well, I, uh, I can think, I, I have to say that the only reason you've seen this, it's not just because you stumbled onto it as a seller. I'm imagining that this was a, deal this was a catalyst for deals not closing or terms having to change as a leader when you're getting to the end of a sales process right the reason why i love how you said it, it might be the biggest risk like that's why i'm trying to sit in this for a second i don't want to blow by this i want our listeners to say you've found out that one of the biggest possible risks is this this value gap this, this yeah. massive value gap and I'm guessing that you figured it out by coaching people and saying, why are we having deals not closed that we're supposed to close? Or why do we have to come in at the end and change, change terms or conditions in order to win? I'm guessing it's because value gap. Am I wrong on that? I, yeah. And, and there's a lot that goes into that, right? If we just use kind of the tagline and label value gap, there, there's a lot that goes into that, right? But I think, um, you know, fundamentally what you're trying to do as a seller, right, is make sure that you're able to get above the noise, right? Can you come in with a hypothesis and then an assumption that really shows, hey, I think I know what this company cares about from a top-down scoreboard initiative and strategic direction. And ultimately, your goal is how do you uniquely tie your solution to that? Sorry, I'm keeping up by 
writing notes. I'm like half a page down already, brother. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so so okay so so this is big. It's a big area of risk. We always want to de-risk deals. We always want to be in alignment. There's a lot of words that are coming to mind. You use one of my favorites. This this hypothesis concept that I can't I can't wait to get after. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that there's a lot of day of of information you have to be able to get from a buyer as a seller in order to understand the things you just talked about. Yeah. Let's start with this. Maybe this is a good place to start. Perfect. How do you earn a relationship where people are willing to share that with you? Yeah, it, it is it is such a great question, right? Because really, you have to earn the trust and credibility before you can really do discovery in a lot of ways, right? I think I think we've all heard that, and and I think there's a few approaches and, and tactics you can take, and I think um, you know one one just to you know lean into you know latest trends and and things that are very accessible for sellers. You know, I think in this age of you know uh, information specifically within AI, you know, there's a lot of tools readily available and accessible that you can kind of just pop in. And just really see kind of what almost the, the inside water cooler chatter is, right? So being able to glean information there, right? Are there 10Ks and 10Qs? Are there PR releases? Can you scrape some of their blogs, right? So I think that's one thing. You know, the second thing is, is I know that AI is still in its infancy stages of the adoption cycle. Not every company is necessarily leaning in. But in today's era, I mean, one of the core tasks for a seller is to be able to do research on a company, regardless of what tools you use or not. Right. So I think kind of really making sure that you have that precision, doing the research, getting intimate with the account. I think there's a lot that you can glean from there and kind of get into that hypothesis based approach. That's one thing. Um, the second thing I'd say, Rob, is, you know, my team's really deployed this quite a bit is, you know, kind of this concept of what I call a bottoms up approach and, and using that as continuous discovery right? There's no better way to get information than go right to the source and hear from the horse's mouth. What is going on inside the water cooler? How does the company uh, keep score? And what does the scoreboard read? So I really, really like that, you know, bottoms up approach. And the last- so When you I'll say think, bottoms up, you mean from the customer and not from what everybody else is saying? That That's a great question. So good question. Um, uh, when I say bottoms up, it's actually looking at the customer's org chart and starting at the low level. So maybe going to either- mm contributors or frontline managers, right? They tend to be accessible. They tend to give you some really good insight. Now, of course, your job's not done there. It's how do you leverage that access, but it's a really good way to, you know, kind of uh, Trojan horse and get into the company, so to speak. What do you find? Do you find those people are like, because they're frontline on the bottom of the org chart? I love how that, that's very visual. I love it. That's really smart. Everybody's targeting at the top. Everybody's trying to get at the top, but those people on the front line, are they... Like, do they get less noise? Are they are they more willing to share because they get less noise? What's your experience been there? Yeah, I, I think it's also how you approach them a little bit too, right? Like, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the things that is misunderstood in a lot of ways is um, just assuming the job is done when you get really really good insight at the low level, right? And at some point, I said this earlier, you're going to have to get above the noise, right? It's how do you leverage that information? Um, but I typically find that they are a little bit more accessible. They have less noise in their phones and less noise in their emails because they're not at the executive and authority level. And there just tends to be more of them, right? As you kind of move down the org chart, there's a little bit more at the IC and manager level. Makes total sense. Any best practices on how to do that for people that are listening? Like we're talking fast and I love your energy on this, but I want to sit in this. This is a good idea. And if you call it bottoms up and if it's one of the most important things, any best practices or any tips, like here's a couple of ways you can engage that bottoms up approach and make it so 
it actually, I'm going to guess if it's done right, it creates like momentum and energy in your opportunity. It a hundred percent does. And I think a couple things, you know, the first might sound overly simple, but it's, it's really um, important irrespective of the function um, as, as well as where they fall in kind of the food chain to understand, you know, what goes on in their day to day, right? If they're an IC or a manager, what matters to them, what problem statements and root causes and talk tracks and uh, positioning statements are really, really going to resonate with them. Um, and then one thing to, you know, because at some point I said, you're going to you're going to have to move up the food chain, right? Um, you know, at some point, if you're selling mid-market enterprise six, seven, uh, you know, a million or six, seven digit uh, figure deals, you know, at some point, you know, you're not going to have as, as much leverage at the bottom, right? And I like to say, you know, for every layer that you're trying to go up and up, ask that initial insight you got from the bottom, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Mm. Why does that matter? And at some point when you can answer why three or four times, you now have a credibility to get a seat at the table with kind of that executive layer. All right. So let's talk. I think you called it. I think you said you need a ladder. I think is what you said. You need a ladder to get up to that, that higher level. Yeah. So I love that. So when you get some of these whys, is there an art form to how you share those with people higher up the food chain? Is is there like like is is there any any process that you found works good? Because you can't just call say I know something you don't know, right? That's right. That's right. You have to be careful with that. I think you have to tailor it in a way of why should they care, right? If you're kind of just uh. going and hey, I've done really good discovery skills. Let me show you what I know you. Um, that's not going to land well, right? That that's not going to resonate. You have to be able to tie, and again, this goes back to really uh, where we started, you know, at this at this main topic and topping point. You then have to get to that hypothesis and assumption based off of all the recon work I've done at the ground level. My guess is now this is your strategic and initiative objective, right? And you can start to really tie in what the impact maybe of those problem statements are that you did at the ground level and how your solution then can start to really hook and uniquely solve for that. Love it. Okay. Um, so you use one of my favorite words. And so I have, maybe you can help me. Yeah. A lot of times when I'm working with leaders, we talk about creating what I call informed hypothesis. And I always laugh at myself and say, man, that is a shitty name for the uh, an informed type. But one person said a hypothesis by definition is informed, Rob. It's your best possible guess. What goes into making a hypothesis or an informed hypothesis so you can connect to people and align? Because I think what this is really doing is creating alignment very early, right? It, it, it is. It, it absolutely is. You know, how do you kind of create momentum, you know, in, in the process a little bit earlier? Um, you know, I, I think, that, you know, something that we haven't talked about that I've that I've found well that I think, um, you know, helps build cre credibility and, and helps you kind of be an expert, you know, in their space or their industry is, you know, a lot of times we as sellers, right, you know, we kind of look at our role and say, hey, we're responsible for the net new business engine. We, we bring on customers and then we kind of pass the baton. And what do I mean by that? You know, how can we look at our existing customer side, our power users, our true champions, where they're having a great experience, we've had value realization, we're, we're over exceeding their expected outcomes. How can we kind of really look at them as lookalike customers and kind of really showcase that social proof and testimonials? And then at some point, you know, I don't want to treat every customer the exact same if they're in a certain segment and in industry, but at some point... I think it becomes a little bit more of a high, uh, more than a hypothesis if we're able to kind of point back over 
and kind of really use those social proof and use cases of existing customers that are very relevant. That makes a lot of sense. So again, so if we're going to like, do you have to teach the members of your team what, what needs to go into making a good hypothesis? We got a bunch of leaders here. When, when I tell people one-on-one -on -one should be based on the reps plan instead of your plan for them. My first question I always get is how do you teach them how to have a plan? Most plans are crap. So I'm going to guess, do you have to teach them what a good hypothesis means? And how do you like stack up to say, because of these things, I believe this is the strategic objective. Is there any anything in there that you've learned? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. And I think um, just with almost about anything as a major, you know, focus and deliverable for a seller, like you actually need to kind of role play and mock and, and coach this, right? Because I think in a lot of ways, to your point, Rob, it's kind of easy to say, you know, here's the account, here's the industry, maybe there's their firmo, you know, do a little research, what, what, what's your hypothesis? But I think actually, you know, when you when you work with a rep and they get a new, uh, you know, target list from RevOps or they're building out their territory plan, before you even get started, it's like, hey, let's let's kind of maybe do three or five um, research and, and account plans together. I'm going to mm. kind of take my notes. I want you to take your notes. We're going to marry it up. And I kind of want to maybe stress test or kind of see the commonalities and differences in some of these hypotheses, right? Because to your point, I, I think sometimes as leaders, we give them the what. Hey, you need to, you need to before you reach out, come up with a hypothesis. We don't necessarily get into the how a little bit. How do we do that? And I think getting in the trenches with them and, and kind of, you know, um, level setting on what that looks like in practice. I'm 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 sitting here soaking it up and and probably for some people this is really natural but for other people it's probably just a simple set I think look at my notes I think you said ground well-grounded assumptions like can you can you walk through what a well what do you mean with well-grounded assumptions because I want these leaders all around like what I hope is that they're going to get them listening to this when they're going to say let's have a team meeting on well-grounded assumptions and badass hypotheses and and how do you how do you know you got a well-grounded assumption because we've all heard assumptions are bad so what makes it a well-grounded one yeah and i i think um in a lot of ways uh it's, it's a good question like um you know I, I think it's actually looking at the results and feedback from prospects when you kind of stress test that right so because hmm. then from there you can kind of really start to see, hey, what's resonating on the market? You know, I did some research. I had this, you know, informed hypothesis. I came with this grounded assumption. I got really positive feedback from said customer, right? Or, or, or like, hey, that, that actually doesn't really necessarily resonate with us, right? So I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's being in tune with, with your sales reps. What are they practicing out in the market? And what's the subsequent feedback um, from, from uh, prospects? So you take it and you get the feedback and then you kind of score those. Do you recommend like leaders share some of these things with the team so they start to see what that looks like? hundred percent. I, I, I mean, I, I know this sounds, you know, kind of silly and overly simple, but like anytime we latch onto anything that we think is a commonality of what's working and what's not working, it should be discussed, right? If, if we are seeing patterns of recognition, we need to find ways to really, um, you know, really replicate that across the board. So you've you've led teams and you've had teams do this and it's been a difference maker. And so I, I'm just putting myself in the shoes of a whole bunch of leaders that are listening to you right now saying, okay, I like this idea. Do you have like two or three things you say, hey, start with simple. Here's two or three things you might do to make it so your whole team can start acting this way. Because if your team across the board just gets a little better at this, sales is the kind of thing that small improvements in sales lead to large disproportionate results because- yeah. 
because it's winner takes all. If you're a little bit better at this than your competitor, you don't get a little more of the deal. You get a hundred percent of the deal, right? A hundred percent. And I think, you know, maybe um, taking, or go, going back to the really kind of the overarching topic of, you know, this perceived value. I think there's, there's a few things that, uh, you know, we can really do as, as leaders. One, and I'm going a little bit into more of like the deal framework, right? So looking at, you know, opportunities that might be in the funnel, I yep. love to look at when reps are documenting their customer insights, hmm. are, are they sharing their own narrative and story on what they believe? Kind of going back to what we talked about, Rob, or are these actually verbatims and in the inside scoop from the horse's mouth? Right. That is something I love. To How stress. do you know? How do you know? Now that's really interesting because like, I love salespeople. Salespeople are my people. I will die a salesperson, but we are notorious for saying what we want it to sound like. Yes uh, or no? A hundred. Oh, you're, I, I love you. Yeah. You beat me to it, right? Because I was going to go, yeah. we're stubborn, right? A, a sales rep is always going to go into these QBRs and these deal forecast sessions yeah. and say, you know, this this is where the deal stands, right? And, and Here's what you need to know. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> right, right? So, you know, of course, like, I think there's some great things now with Gong and AI. And I do think one of the biggest things as sales leaders is, you know, um, doing tape review, getting under the hood and listening to calls, right? So I do think that's, that's one thing, right? Um, the second thing I would say is like, be the second voice in these deals and tell the Ooh. sales rep, take me to your champion. When is the business case review and proposal? I want to be on that call. Right. Or better yet, you can just say like, hey, I want to make sure that um, I have a good line of sight on this business case and proposal. We're going to walk kind of line by line. And is that are we using language the buyer said? Like, so as I look at that, is that buyer language? Are we using their own words or am I seeing some maybe leaps of faith and we're using our own jar jargon? That's a really good idea. That's a good suggestion. How hard is it to turn this into a habit? How hard is it to build momentum around this? Like, because like we're asked to do a lot of things and some people are saying, well, yeah, we're always asked to do our research. Of course, that's table stakes, but you're, you're doing more than just research. You're starting to find an informed hypothesis. And I hope you can give me a better name for that. Um, we're, we're starting to answer the whys. We're starting to say, this is why it matters. That's right. And so this is much more than, hey, I read your... I read your annual rep report or I read whatever. I saw this in the news. Those are better than nothing, but like I get those every day and I hardly ever re respond to them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, going, you know, expanding on that a little bit further. So um, I'm just trying to think of how, you know, maybe we want to tackle that a little bit here, Rob. Um, you know, you kind of ask, like, how, how do we kind of, you know, make this a little habitual for them, right? Like, yeah. how, how do we make this kind of a, you know, a pattern? And what I found here, and it's, you know, it's not rocket science, um, but I think when we're asking the questions a little bit more of like, hey, is, is that is that firsthand news from the customer? Is is, is that secondhand where, where we're kind of, you know, projecting? You know, I think instead of just really asking and stopping there is, you know, we've got to probe further. Right. We've got to be coaching them and understand, like, well, how do they go about doing that? Right. And I think that's the thing. If we're just giving, hey, you need to go do this, or we're giving them answers, you know, in these forums where we're either doing deal reviews or QBRs, you're gonna you're gonna be asking the same questions over and over and over again. Right. So it's how can you develop the core competencies and skills so that now they can go and make sure that they're finding the verbatims and, and spe specific answers from the customer themselves. So that's awesome. I think that one of the most important parts of coaching is we gotta have moments where we observe. Too often we try to be data-driven leaders and, and 
I get why you say it, but dude, you can't coach a team by the numbers. Anybody says you can't, I say BS. So I love what you just said. You got to create that as a moment of your observation. You want to watch them do this work. You want to watch them create these hypotheses. You want to role play these things with them. This is something that like, because I think the better you start, the better you finish. This is the kind of thing that every leader on here, if you want to start having them get a little bit better at creating these well-grounded assumptions rather than okay. hopeful assumptions, hopeful assumptions should scare us. Well-grounded assumptions makes tons of sense to me. I, I think that what you just said, everybody could benefit from. Are we scheduling time to observe this or are yeah. we just having one-on-ones around this? Like, do you need to be intentional around how you observe that? Oh, I mean, Rob, a thousand percent. I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't plus one that, you know, anymore. Um, and I think a few things like, you know, um, all leaders need some type of operating cadence and rhythm. And within that, you need to over, over allocate for coaching. If you think, even if you're like, I'm not sure if it's enough coaching, then it's not. And, you know, I think there's, one thing, this might be a little hot take or it might be a little contrarian because I've I've heard from some leaders that, you know, pipeline reviews and um, any sort of QBRs aren't coaching sessions. And I agree to a, a certain extent. But they but matter. They matter. And if you're going to deal review and you're seeing someone struggle on, well, hey, what is the best approach to find a champion? Are you are you really not going to spend you know time there for the whole team that's in front of them? That's one of your most highly leveraged points, Right. Um, so I get passionate about that. So I don't want to, you know, take a, go down a rabbit hole, but, you know, I think one thing is what is your operating system and cadence for both you and your team? And do you have intentionality about the preparation, the expectations and the outcomes behind any sort of, of, of meeting or important touch point? Yeah, that's a great statement. Uh, we've had a lot of people come on here and talk about the importance of coaching and coaching as what, like my near and dear to my heart topic. It's my thing I'm most, most close to as a leader, but you just said something that I want to sit in. If you don't mind, so we need, when you're doing time allocation, we got to not allocate time for coaching. You said over allocate time for coaching. Yeah. And that's genius because the number one thing that I, not to know, one of the top three things that when I work with leaders that they like, I have a client who just got promoted awesome. I'm happy for her. She earned it. I had 24 people that I worked with get promoted last year. And I had a one-on-one -on -one with her today and she's like, Rob, I had no idea how much this would change my time allocation. Yeah. Yeah. And what the word, what the advice was, let's not lose track of the people with yeah. all the stuff you got to do for managing up now. Let's not lose track of the people that you lead you. And so I like that over allocate. Can you over allocate coaching? So um, I hope I can answer your question with maybe like, let's let's think about it from this concept yeah. of approach. So anytime you have any sort of meeting, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with your rep, one-on-one -on -one with your manager, or a team meeting with, with, with anybody that is in your chain of command or reporting structure, yep. what if you as a leader could ask yourself, how do I turn this forum into coaching? Because I think if you look at it from that perspective, you are fundamentally trying to uh, come at this with the outcome being, I am going to focus on upskilling, up-leveling, and development. Now, look, there's going to be some times where, you know, you're going to have to look at, you know, top-down initiatives. How does that trickle down? New product releases, competitive intel, all that great stuff, right? But if there is, if you can at least ask yourself, 
how is this forum or this setting going to turn into a coaching moment? What a great statement. That might be the title of our episode. And I didn't have any idea we were going to go here, man. This is why I love, this is why I love talking to great leaders like yourself. I I love what, that I get to every week, talk to somebody different. I want everybody to write that down. Like, how do I turn X moment into coaching? How do I turn, I don't care what it is into coaching. So do you, since I don't, we didn't know we're going to go here. Do you have like a personal definition of what makes something coaching? That is a really good, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think I kind of started to hit on that a little bit, but, you know, coaching to me, because um, I, I think there's, there's a couple components for coaching. Um, and, and I always, you know, I always gravitate towards coach or excuse me, sports, because I think there's the connotation of coach there. Yep. But I think coaching is how do you build the proper plays for specific scenarios and make sure that your team is aware of those and then can execute them. But then also, are they getting their fundamental and foundational skills and competencies improved? And to me, I think that the latter is what everybody as either a frontline manager or a sales leader should really, really gravitate towards and focus on. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've tried to be able to kind of, you know, go through a dress rehearsal of myself at, at the end of each day is, what was the one thing that I did to either move the uh, do to improvement, improve either my uh, sales force or as a whole or one individual rep? Because if you can't answer that, I don't I don't know how productive a coach can be. The reason I like sitting in this is I keep seeing more data. It hasn't gotten better in the last 10 years. Like I feel like I've been on a like my primary focus working with leaders started in coaching and now it's a little more holistic than that but coaching is still super important i think yeah 80 i've seen studies a few years ago 87 percent of leaders self-identify as awesome at coaching but 83 percent of the reps that work for them say it's either not happening or it sucks bain not too long ago bain they did a study where they they asked salespeople all around the world if you had to pay out of your own pocket what would you pay for an hour of time with your leader not that you should have to pay and some right, like bad right. leaders, bad leaders. I always know I met a bad leader when they say, well, of course they're going to say zero because they shouldn't have to. That's not what I'm saying. The question is how much value is it to you? How much would you value that? Okay. And when that answer came back, 54% of the reps worldwide said not even $1, not right. even $1. I keep seeing stuff like this over and over. And that's why when I hear you talk about coaching and answering the question, how do I turn into coaching or how did I help make something better? Like, I think we have too much blind pursuit of results rather than connected pursuit of improvement. What do you think about like any thoughts around that topic? I, I think, oh, I mean, we could spend, you know, uh, we don't have enough time, right? To, to Yeah, well, actually, we're that. down to our last 10 minutes. I can't yeah, believe how fast this went. Blink, blink of an eye. It's been a thrill. But, you know, I, I think, you know, sometimes the problem is, you know, leaders are looked at as kind of all-knowing or they should have all the answers. Why, why do I say that? Why is that important? Because I think sometimes when there's a struggle or there's a gap or there's a lack of clarity, the leader kind of just naturally goes to, well, here's your answer. Here, here's what you need to go do. And we're missing all of the things of what is the root cause? What's diagnosing this issue? What's the rep's point of view? Are we even empowered them to be active in their own rescue to try and go find the answers? Are we guiding them? Are we leading the witness? I think we just jump right out in front to just, you know, give them the answer and move on. 
I think you're right. And so the advice would be then slow down. Like it, doing is down. not coaching. Coaching cr actually creates capacity for a leader because they need you less after they get better. That's that's exactly right. Seek to understand. Seek to understand. What, what, why, why maybe, you know, are they even having that issue in the first place? What's, what's driving the gap? Why is it specific and local to maybe that individual and not your individual rep over here? All right, so I got 10 minutes left with you, brother, and we're going to run out of time. So there's another th word you said that I wrote down. Sometime I'll have to I'll have to show you my notes from our conversation. I'm on page three right now. I love and um, you made a statement. You made a you, 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 we've talked about some words that I kind of gravitated to, like like we can make a word cloud of the things that you start started with. You said the one that you called, and I think I got it right, continuous discovery. Yeah. Now, yeah. now that's really interesting to me. And I want to make sure this, I think it's going to be a good way to finish because too many people see discovery as something that happens at a specific phase and that's either right. we get it right or we don't. I'm going to guess that continuous discovery is, is a much different way of looking at the concept of learning and aligning and this de-risking concept. Oh, um, I mean, continuous discovery to me, to, to your point, you know, Rob, we look at this as a, a stage and a naming convention based off of the point we're at in the customer journey. And, um, you know, to me, can you, continuous dis discovery starts before we get a seat at the table and we have an opportunity in the pipeline. That, that, that to me is the mantra and strategy that I want my teams to deploy in just the outbound prospecting motion. You're, you're learning about the customer, right? So going back to, you know, the tactic of the bottoms up, if you don't necessarily know anything about a customer, what are you trying to get that's going to arm you and make you powerful and build credibility and say like, hey, you know, this guy really deserves a seat at the table. So that's one. I mean, I'm talking before we enter the pipeline. You know, the second thing, too, is, um, you know, when you think about the actual deal navigation, when the, the prospect and customer is actually going through the evaluation, in some cases, that first call, what are we talking, Rob, 30 or 45 minutes? Do you truly think in 30 or 45 minutes, especially if you have a two or three month sales cycle and you're selling a compact solution that's every bit of three plus months, do you think you did thorough and full and whole discovery in a 30 minute process? Absolutely Probably not. not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Right. And things change. Right. So to me, going on the continuous discovery, it is top funnel, it's mid funnel. And truthfully, it's all the way even at the end, because you're doing discovery on expected outcomes. Um, you know what what they're expecting the solution to kind of look like from a value realization on the post sale side of things. So I just truly think that needs to be the overarching mantra. I like that. Um, why do you think discovery for some organizations stops? Why do you think they treat it as a box check rather than how we do things? It, this will sound so silly to say, but I think it's it's truly because we've got this naming convention and it's self-serving, mm -hmm. right? We build kind of this customer journey um, as kind of our documented sales process. And hey, look, there is there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? You know, because I there is a lot of discovery components you need to get out of your first call to you know to set the, the path for the future customer journey. But I think what the trickle down effect is, you know, the sales rep is going to this first call. We talk about it internally as a discovery. They're sitting in the CRM. They're looking at the stage called discovery. They might even put in their, their title of the, the meeting invite they sent to the customer discovery. And I truly do think there is this indirect impact uh, that, that puts us in kind of that mindset.
I think you're right. I think I think that we can't treat discovery as a stage. We have to treat it as a lifestyle, not an event, right? It's a way of doing business. A hundred percent. It is. It's continuous and throughout. Well, that could be a title too. discovery. Uh, this has been awesome, Jordan. I, I can't believe how fast our time has gone. Um, you, the, kudos to you. I love the way you think. I, I can see why you've had great success with your teams. Let me ask you this. For yeah. all the stuff that we've talked about, you've given some tips on what to do. Let's look at the other side of that coin. Like, what should they watch out for? What what becomes challenging? What makes these concepts of informed hypotheses or or continuous discovery or how do I turn this into coaching? There's they're all three distinct things. Yeah. What are things? Any of those? I don't care what you pick. Any suggestions to our listeners? Like, what are some things you ought to watch out for? Yeah, um, that's a really that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think maybe going back a little bit to this this concept of, um, you know, what I'll call, you know, aligning your solution and attaching it to a top-down initiative objective. And, you know, I think to me, because regardless of the, the pain that you've gotten from the customer, um, the problem statement, how great they think your product is, if you're truly not getting above the noise, in attaching to the strategic direction of the company, you're gonna have a really, really hard time getting executive alignment and building a strong business case and proposal. Okay, this is awesome. Uh, we're gonna start wrapping up. We've got another maybe five minutes. And so okay. I, I wanna first make it easy. How do people get a hold of you? How do people connect with you? How do they reach out to you and learn more and or get to be like me and watch these because you're a pretty frequent poster on LinkedIn and you have really good insights. I enjoy watching when, when you when you share things. What if they want to ask, take a place that I didn't take this? Maybe they have questions they want to take to you. How do they connect with you? How do they learn more about you? All of that good stuff. Yeah, it's a great question, Robin. I mean, I think one thing, you know, I'd love to say, I, I love jamming on anything, you know, sales trends, sales processes, go to go to market. So, you know, I'm always happy to, you know, kind of network and, and discuss further. You know, best channel, of course, like most, especially since you alluded to, you know, some of my postings is, is LinkedIn. Um, so Jordan, I know I got a weird, weird last name. It's Whistle, it's W-I-S-S-E-L. And then I'm always available by email. So jordan.whistle at gmail.com as well. I, I will, we'll add, uh, we'll add those things into the show notes to make it easy for people to reach out to you. So we got probably three, four minutes left. I love to turn it back and say, put a bow on it, like a concluding statement. Like if you were going to sum up what we're going to say into one final soundbite, and we'll probably turn it into a video on sales leadership United for people that want to have it. Uh, how would you summarize or, or put a bow on this conversation that's gone so fast today? Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I kind of, you know, we've touched on throughout. So just to kind of in, in summation, um, I'd say, you know, make sure that you and your teams are focused on ruthless discovery and validation through every touch point of interaction. Ruthless discovery. Write this down. Yeah. Ruthless and validation. At every point of interaction. Yeah. You got it. Then I'm going to ask for one more summary because I want to take a couple more minutes on this. Like when you say ruthless discovery validation, how do you validate? Like what are the validators? 
man, that is that is such a good question. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that um, a good way to look at this is the business case and proposal, right? So what that means is, you know, has the rep hit, you know, all the components and template of your business case and proposal? Does it really align to the buyer language? We talked a little bit about that, but there's other things that kind of come into part there. Like, who is that going to? Is that going to the champion, right? Do you have somebody that's willing to sponsor this? That's going to navigate on your behalf? That is responsible for the ROI? That is willing to put their reputation on the line and, and put their stamp of approval and say, hey, this business case that Jordan worked on and his team worked on, it passes the eye test. And, and, and I validate and put my stamp of approval on that. So I, I think to me, like in summation, that's kind of the vehicle and mechanism that you should look at. It's kind of the lifeblood and say, I, I feel really good that, you know, sales rep A and sales rep B, they did their continuous discovery. They were able to validate. And this is now the consolidation and formalization of those findings. Dude, this was awesome. Thank you so much. On behalf of 50,000 people all around the world, thank you for sharing an hour of your time with us. His name is Jordan Whistle. Uh, he has led SaaS teams to great success. Uh, he is a rising star in the sales leadership community. Uh, he just gave us a masterclass on how we can find the greatest area of risk in an opportunity early so it doesn't come back to bite us in the ass late. And, and if there's one thing we take from this that we can all start doing immediately, we need to be ruthless in our discovery and our validation at every point of interaction. And if we get good at that, we can win more and lose less, but every single member of our team are going to thank us for our interaction there, their deals as a result. So Jordan, thank you for coming. Thank you for your insights. And as I say to everyone, happy selling, brother. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. It was an honor. I enjoyed our time together. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United has had so much growth, and I'm grateful to each one of you who have chosen to check it out. For the rest of you, the purpose of Sales Leadership United is really simple. I want to give you access to the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Listen, I coach over 100 sales leaders. They're in big companies. They're in new companies. They're in every industry. They're people that are new to leadership, new to their companies, and they're the most seasoned sales leaders in the world. And every single one of them, man, they want really uh, similar things. They want more perspective. They want more insights. And they want tools that match those needs. They ask me questions like, what are the new systems? What are the new foundations? How do you create change? How, how, how do you coach better? How do you lead up or manage up or even connect to a totally different generation? These are people that are new to leadership. These are people that are seasoned leaders. These are everybody in between. And the number one question that I get, what are the other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing right now? And that's why you should check out Sales Leadership United. All the tools, all the training, all the techniques. It's perspective that only comes from the benefit of thousands of hours with leaders all around the world. Now, if you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, head to salesleadershipunited.com, get to that checkout, use the code ROB and take a free trial on me. Now, I wanna get back to Jordan. I didn't know Jordan before we started talking about doing this episode. I was just really impressed with some of his, her, his perspectives that he shared on LinkedIn. As I got to know him, it just reinforced how much I love interacting with sales leaders who are the up and comers. Because the great ones aren't holding on to how things used to be. 
These great ones are the up-and-comers that are dealing with what they're facing in the here and now, not like scratching their head saying, how do I do what I used to do? And Jordan is someone who is absolutely a difference maker. I'm really glad we had him on the show this week because he didn't just help me think about this topic of this biggest risk around alignment. He made me rethink about our biggest risks in general that we're up against as sales leaders. And it's been really helpful for me to be rethinking that. Um, I think Jordan's right. I think it comes down to alignment. And I've learned as I was reflective on this after this episode that every single person communicates, every one of us, but very few of us actually connect. (laughs) And if we want to be anything other than a transactional salesperson or a transactional leader, then we have to make sure we connect. Connection is a skill that we need to address exactly that way. It is a skill because it is a noisy, noisy world right now. People are hearing so many things from so many places. And the challenges for this year are different than they've been in any other year. So as leaders, we've got to treat connection as a skill for how we work with those people we lead. And we need to also treat it as a skill for something that we develop in the members of our sales team. Here's why. Communication and connection, they are two different things. Every single leader communicates. Every single salesperson communicates. Shoot, every single person alive communicates. But very few of us actually connect. And I think connection is a skill, not a talent. And as leaders, we need to get better at the ability of connecting. That's exactly what Jordan was referring to when he talked about the big risks that come when people assume what people value or how they establish value or what the drivers of value are in the unique circumstances for anybody that we work with, companies or people. So go back and listen to what Jordan shares. He has some really great insights. He has a preparation framework that is a good one, but don't just treat this as an activity set that needs to be done. Don't just treat this as more activities to manage or more activities to implement. I want you to nest this inside a much bigger objective. And that objective should be, how do I connect? I want you to start looking at your sales process in terms of competencies, not activities. I want you to start looking at your leadership process in terms of competencies and not activities. Because connection should be a competency we're intentional about. When I take uh, individuals or groups through my leadership development programs, the second thing after we work on characters, we work on the competencies, the leadership competencies. And one that nobody thinks about is the ability to connect. Listen, I had a great leader on the call with me yesterday, and she is a tenured leader. She's highly successful with one of the most visible companies. You, everybody here probably has heard of them. And she's won awards, and she is in the, one of the top markets. And she's, by everything you ever think of, she, she's killing it. And she said to me yesterday, I just want to know that I'm valued, which means there's not a connection with her and other places. And so this is really important for, for you to think about. Um, how do I connect? What's the competency of connection? Uh, we got to look at our sales process and say, how do we make it about alignment and simplification and getting to that point of credibility? Because I think that we have fewer people connecting than ever before. We have more people communicating than ever before, and we have fewer people connecting than ever before. So I want you to jot this down. Communication does not equal connection. That's going to be the title of this episode. Connection is, a, is just really important for us to be intentional about and treat as a skill. Because I've learned that is a skill every single person can develop if they want to. 
but few leaders treated it as a skill for themselves, and few salespeople traded it as a skill as well. That's why we just keep going through the more, the grind. And this is one of the ways that we see growth over grind. Growth over grind, one of the skills is how do I connect, not just communicate. And, and honestly, I think this is one of the reasons why activity management is a go-to for so many leaders. So I want to share a simple framework that you can use to connect, not just try to correct. First is align. Find common ground, just like Jordan talked about. Establish something you both care about. Then it's simplify. This is the hard work. How do you break things into digestible parts? How do you create unmistakable clarity? How, how can you simplify things? Then you thrive. Create an experience where people thrive with you. They don't just survive their challenge. But you make it enjoyable. You make it fun. You make it so they feel like there's clarity and a light at the end of the tunnel, which leads to the fourth one. And that's inspire. Don't just share info. Connect with their feelings. Connect with their desires. Connect with their objectives. Okay? Um, put fuel on that fire. And then the last one is live. Be authentic. Walk your talk. Create credibility. Credibility is, is one of the greatest tools anybody in sales can ever have. And if you look at those five words, I hope you wrote them down. Align, simplify, thrive, inspire, and live. Turn those into I am statements. So I, I always do the word with a lowercase, and I take one of the I's in the word, and I make it a capital. So it says, I align. I simplify, I thrive, I inspire, I live. These are the five I am's of connection. These five I am's will help you connect with the people you lead. These five I am's will help you connect with the people you work for. These five I am's will help you connect with the people you work with. I align, I simplify, I thrive, I inspire, and I live. Connection, it's a skill. It's something you can develop, and it's a difference maker in a noisy world. Communication will never equal connection. So choose to connect. Apply those five IMs to the people you leave. You lead. Apply those five IMs to the deals you're chasing and help your team members learn to connect because Jordan's right. This is the biggest risk. And we have to learn to coach this. Connect. Learn to do it intentionally. Learn to do it with the, with the people on your team and teach them how to do it intentionally because it's a skill that will help you navigate every single type of economic condition. So, Jordan, thanks for joining me. I love what you're doing, brother. I appreciate your insights. Congratulations on your success as a leader and the impact you've had with people and organizations who are fortunate enough to have you as part of their team. I'm excited to watch your journey and see where you go and the impact you create. Be sure to create to connect with Jordan. Link up with him on LinkedIn. Uh, reach out to him. You're going to find that he's someone who will, who will share insights, and he's a great follow to have in your network. And then be sure to head to Sales Leadership United for video clips of this conversation with Jordan and hundreds of other sales leaders. The videos around Jordan's framework and how to create connection will be great tools for you to use in upcoming sales meetings. Finally, I want to thank each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can give is to share the show with those you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head over to salesleadershipunited.com and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for the support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Don't ever forget that our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. If you like this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it and then get after it because life is short. We got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today, be elite, live strong and chase your passions and do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this and I got you. Here's to a terrific week. Oh, oh.
Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.